one of the challenges in this model is that what it lacks is this kind of really truly connecting the learners with what they're learning. So what I mean by that is if you're taking a chemistry class, sometimes learners kind of struggle to understand why they're even learning these things. Like I can give you an organic chemistry formula, like, okay, what is carbon dioxide? Let's just study that. And okay, I know this is carbon oxygen, all these bonding and all that is great. But how does that relate to what I what the life that I'm living in? So in Yellowdig, what we do is that we connect the learners with concepts in the real world that they will bring in. The instructor can bring in, but they themselves are incentivized to bring in and discuss it with one another. Welcome to Create New Features, a show about thought-provoking ideas and practices you can use to create and shape your future in life and in business. Join Aviv Shahar, author and innovation strategy consultant, as he shares his proven strategies that have helped clients create breakthrough results. Aviv has guided executives at Fortune 100 companies, and now he wants to help you. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with successful leaders and entrepreneurs to explore how you can create new futures for you and for your organization. This is a V event. Today, I'm speaking with Shona Croy, the founder and CEO of Yellowdig, a learning platform that engages hundreds of thousands of students around the world, helping them increase learning engagement. Shonak, it's good to have you here. Welcome. Thank you, Avi. Great to be here. Let me dive right in and ask you first, of all the things you do in your work, what do you enjoy most? I enjoy most you know, working with students and professors to kind of make them more excited about what they are learning. So interacting with my user is probably my highest point in my work. So give us a sense of what that feels like when you're in that interaction. What would be, a, for instance, uh, for a joyful, interesting, compelling, energizing engagement with a client? For us, one of the reasons I started the company about seven years back is because I was interested in making learning more enjoyable and fun. And it kind of ties back into my own journey over the life. I grew up in India, then I came to the US, did my master's, and then worked in the industry for about 10 years, after which I founded Yellowdig. But one of my, I would say, issues with, even though I went to some of the top you know, colleges and universities, I always felt that learning wasn't as enjoyable as it could be. And personally, I view myself as a very curious person. I'm always learning about new things. But even if I am having trouble to actually find my own experiences not that enjoyable, I kind of used to wonder that, you know, there are thousands of thousands of students who are probably not as you know, curious or excited. I mean, they may be having a terrible experience. So I always felt that it could be done better. And that's the journey I kind of jumped in several, seven years back. So fast forward, when we are, I'm kind of going through the motions of my day as an entrepreneur. Well, uh, let me just hold you there because you didn't answer yet my question, but you answered my next question, which was, what was the problem? What was the problem that Yellow Dick solved? So is that the problem you actually set out to solve, which is that what, that learning, the learning experience is suboptimal or not as engaging or not as fun? 
in your words, how do you describe the learning, the problem you set out to solve? The problem is that, as you just said, which is the learning experience is suboptimal. It does not utilize some of the intrinsic behavior of human beings. And I'll give you an example. If you are a student, could be high school or college or even in a corporate training environment, and we do work with all different kinds of clients, typical experiences, it's a very passive experience where you sit in a classroom and you are given information, whichever class you are sitting in, and you're supposed to kind of read it on your own and then process it on your own, and then maybe submit an assignment or kind of complete your you know, exam, whatever it may be. And you get a grade or you get a certification and that's the end of it. What it lacks is this whole engagement sometimes, which human beings are so curious, truly understanding what we are learning and how does that relate to the lives that we are living. That is such an important factor in driving human motivation and joy, essentially, to kind of fall in love with the process of learning. And that lacks to a large extent. And we all have been in classes and we know those professors who sometimes kind of bring that up you know, through whatever means they apply in a classroom or any other learning space. And we all kind of get hooked in and we enjoy that experience thoroughly. And we also have been those classes and experiences where it feels like just running through the motions and kind of doing the bare minimum sometimes to just get through. And to me, was that was the lost opportunity. Like, why is not why we are not rethinking some of these learning spaces in a way that drives better learning for the students. And of course, there's some other advantages of having better learning. Not only the learner is more motivated and the teacher is kind of more excited, but you know, it drives more persistence. You're not giving up for small reasons, which often happens in higher education. That was a problem that I was excited about and which is kind of what gets me going, I would say, even seven years into this building this company. So I'm very interested, very fascinated to learn what is it you actually do and, and how you solve to that. Let me just seed by way of downloading the, the three or four things that turned up for me as you describe the problem you set out to solve. Because the first thing is... How do you solve to the appreciation that there are different learnings, different learning styles, different learners, right? There are people that are wired differently. Some are truly wired to visual learning. Some need conversational learning. Some are very kinetic. They have a lot of energy in their body. They need to be on the move. These are the people that you actually see them when they're in a conversation. They're moving all around the place. And they need to do things with their hands to get themselves involved in the process. So how do you create an experience? And what is it that Yellow Dig brings to the table that addresses that challenge? So that's point number one to consider. Point number two, which is building on what you said, the learning experience that you are describing that's suboptimal is really what occurred in the last 150 years, more or less in modern learning factories developed during the Industrial Revolution where we put students, young children to school so their parents could go to work in the factory. And we essentially developed factories for learning. But as you're saying, is truly suboptimal to the human experience. And I imagine that you're trying to address that. The third thing, I'll just sit there and I'll let you respond to all of it, is if we think about it a little back in time, 
learning was more a case of apprenticeship. You would be next to a master. So somebody who wanted to become a painter or an artist, they would become an apprentice to a Michelangelo, to a Leonardo da Vinci, and they would work with them and they would be in their presence and they will get immersed in the process and ways. And that is, it will like, by diffusion, it will transfer to them. So I'm highly aware of all those elements, which is why when I've created the Create New Future modality with senior executives, we create a learning experience that follows this principle that you never teach something intellectually to a group of adults, even a nugget of wisdom or practice for five or 10 minutes without immediately letting them move through the four stages of adult learning, by which I mean practice and take ownership of the learning. So that's how I design learning experiences that to truly create transformation. Now, I said a lot. I threw just four different elements at you. Please take whatever you like off that and begin to unfold for us. What is Yellow Dig and how did you develop that platform? That's right. Great way. I mean, thanks for the setup, Aviv. And one thing that is obvious from your explanation is that this learning design is not a static design. It has to be dynamic because there are too many things at play. So at one side, you have the learner who is quite unique. It's a human being and human beings are complex and unique and their emotions, their history and their background, their aspirations, so many things at play on the learner side. On the other side, we have the needs of the company or whichever career or whichever jobs that they're pursuing because of why they're investing their time in learning, which we all know is extremely dynamic in this day and age. Whatever we learn today needs to be applied tomorrow. We are no longer in that world where we can learn something today and wait for four years to graduate and apply in a job context because the job would have changed in those four years. So that's the supply side and the demand side. And in the middle is what we call is learning design, which has to connect the human being in one side, which is a complex human being as a learner. On the other side, the needs of the market. So how do you design that system that connects the dots in a way that energizes the learner so that it doesn't feel like you use the word, which is like the factory or the industrial way of doing things, which is like an assembly line that doesn't work anymore. So it has to be much more dynamic and in the moment. So we are talking about a complex system. So kind of this is the reality we are dealing in. So the existing paradigm is very much an industrial paradigm where you have the content, you have the delivery, the person who is going to teach, and you have certain outcomes and you go through that process. It really gets updated. If you take a example of a university, the universities doesn't change. You said 150 years. It's been there for such a long time. And there are so many forces at play for it not to change. That's the reality. So which is why it's kind of failing to a large extent. We can get into that as well. So how do we solve this problem? Well, so actually, because of what you just said, you opened the path. Let's just hold on for a moment with how you solve this problem and take even another step back and say what you're describing and what I started saying before is we're truly dealing with an educational system that's broken and is no longer fit for purpose against where the need is today and certainly where the need is going forward. And I would be interested that you take an extra moment before you go deep into the yellow dig solution and offer me your point of view of what you see to be 
the brokenness or why, what else is no longer fit for purpose in the educational system, such that we allow ourselves for a minute to have even this broader philosophical conversation and then look at the piece in on this continuum of the learning experience that you are addressing. Yep. So then if you look at the educational system today, which has been designed for such a long time, it's a multi-stakeholder system. So if you think about it, there are students who are coming through every year, every fall, you have a group of students who get into the university for getting a degree. And typically these degrees are four-year to two-year. These days we have shorter degrees like certificates and things like that. Then you have the faculties who have been trained in a certain way, right? Most of these people have got their PhDs 20, 30 years back. They really haven't quite, you know, worked in the modern economy, right? The kind of startups that we are building and have been trained in the G's and the Ford's of the world. I mean, a lot of the case studies that they have grown up in is in that era. So they also have to kind of get retrained to actually be able to relate to the learners who are getting into the new work environments, And then you have this archaic, what I would say, that kind of administration who has to comply to certain regulations in the space. Every university has to be accredited, right? So it has to have a certain standards they have to meet to be able to provide degrees or certifications. And those agencies, which are kind of almost saying, which is what stands for quality, is also looking at probably 10, 15, 20 years old data in terms of kind of designing these programs. So... What you have is this very complex, multi-stakeholder system and very, very hard to change. You probably should add two other stakeholders, although they are one step removed, the parents of students and, and society and the economy at large expecting that you deliver solutions for them. And right there, there is another inherent contradiction because when we view education merely in the sense of how can I get the highest paying job, which is not a bad incentive, it's not a bad motivation, it's part of the capitalistic system. But if that is the sole purpose of education, then something is broken because we are not really supporting and enabling those people that are perhaps incentivized and motivated by a different kind of orientation or attunement which is how can I find the education that will unlock my highest creative potential? And I'll worry later about the financial returns, or if you you may say that's a too much of a utopian future, but I, if we cannot envision a paradigm that enables people to unlock their creative potential, then what you have is, well, a lot of people going and training themselves in domains that they then discover that they hate, and they nevertheless enroll into those professions because they've made considerable investments, and that impact uh, psychological health and mental health and well-being, and you get this chain reaction of an unhealthy paradigm that reinforces itself. So I'm saying there are even more entrenched forces over and above the three stakeholders that you were describing, including the faculty where you the incentive structure is that you get into a tenured position and that is forever there, which is not necessarily oriented or aligned with how do I unlock the greatest potential of my students because some of them will solve the most challenging, wicked problems the world needs solving. Yep, 100%. What you just said is I 100% agree. 
which is where the problem comes because a lot of universities or other kind of educational institutions, we see that they're focusing too much on the output. If you define the output by how many of my students are getting jobs or placements or what's the average starting salary or what feel like, you know, computer science is pretty hot today or digital marketing is a hot area. Maybe we are starting degree programs to cater to that market needs and trying to find students and placing them there. That is, I think, the reasonable output metric to look at. But if that is how we are going to design a system, it's going to be chaotic because then you have all sorts of misalignment of incentives where the learners, as you said, you might lead to like the finding a job that you are going to hate because either are not trained for the job or you don't have the qualities or the interest and you're just blindly following whatever is hot or whatever is in trend today and getting a job there is not going to lead to maximizing your lifetime potential from an earning standpoint or whatever other standpoint. So, you know, to me, and I kind of maybe it's a pivot to like where I believe at least where we need to focus on is going back to the learner. Focusing on the learner and focusing on teaching and learning as a primary function of any institution is where I think we are going to go back to solving this kind of chaotic problem. Because the reason is that if a learner comes to the institution and they're being actually being trained properly in whichever discipline they're interested in, and they themselves are finding the joy or the interest in learning that subject, and being able to kind of, you know, find their way to be able to be productive in whichever field they're choosing is, it's going to work itself out. And if they find themselves to be in a field or in a study area that they don't fit well, because they are essentially not being able to contribute in that area, they can find something else. So rather than solving that kind of job placement problem, because we don't want these universities to be glorified like job placement agencies, which sometimes they become like a lot of business school actually are in trouble because over-focusing on job placement and probably even fudging data to kind of, you know, getting students into the right positions and attracting new students that way is not the recipe for success in for the long term. This is a powerful articulation you offer there. When an academic institution becomes a job placement agency, they are serving no longer the first principle and, and the higher cause that they ought to be serving. But that's the paradigm that we find ourselves in because of the because everything is so well entrenched and captured by the perverse incentives of a distorted economy. That's a different conversation to bring up some other time. So with that, let's go deeper into yellow dig and how do you solve that? But just to get us grounded a little bit in the reality, because you mentioned that you are serving both universities, high schools, and also businesses. So can you give just a what is currently the portfolio of clients you're serving? How much is it business learning and training? How much is it universities? Just so we get a sense. Our primary focus is universities. We work with about 130 universities, mostly in the US and in some other parts of the world in Australia and Singapore, who are using our product to essentially make their teaching and learning a lot more engaging for their students. We got into high schools as well as corporate training is because some of our clients are offering their programs into corporate training environments. And that's how we got into some of these companies, but that is still a small portion of our business. Beautiful. So what is it you actually enable and how is the yellow dig experience different? 
Yes. So our solution is what we call is a connected learning experience. And let me give an example. Let's say you are an undergrad taking a STEM class, which is quite popular these days. People are taking more engineering type of courses. And let's say you're taking a chemistry class. A typical learning experience is, as I was explaining before, is the teacher or instructor will have materials for the students to review. They'll probably meet once a week in a live classroom and the teacher will lecture. Students might ask questions, do some assignments, and then there are various assignments they have to complete. And finally, they do an exam. And that's how education has been for the last 150 years. This is how the traditional model has worked. One of the challenges in this model is that what it lacks is this kind of really, truly connecting the learners with what they're learning. So what I mean by that is, if you're taking a chemistry class, sometimes learners kind of struggle to understand why they're even learning these things. Like I can give you an organic chemistry formula, like, okay, what is carbon dioxide? Let's just study that. And okay, I know this is carbon oxygen, all these bonding and all that is great. But how does that relate to what, I, what the life that I'm living in? So in Yellowdig, what we do is that we connect the learners with concepts in the real world that they will bring in. The instructor can bring in, but they themselves are incentivized to bring in and discuss it with one another. So let's say you are sitting in a cafeteria and you're drinking Coke. Now, Coke has fizzles or bubbles, and that's because of carbon dioxide. And it also has caffeine in it, which gives you a little bit of a bitterness. So we find in Yellowdig, and this is what we make happen, this is how we, where one student will kind of bring an example like, hey, I was drinking Coke this morning, and this, by the way, I wanted to share. I did a little bit of research, and I, this is what is, this is a chemical composition of Coke is. And another student might bring in another example. Now the students will bring in another example and all of that relate to the class or the material that they're studying. And what it does is that it essentially starts to get the students connected to what they're learning in the classroom, to the world they're living in, and start to kind of connect the concepts with one another. And essentially they're kind of maybe sharing an article or sharing a video that they saw somewhere else, or maybe they create one video themselves and actually kind of discussing this one another is what we call is connected learning experience. And we deliver that. So Yellowdig is that tech platform. It is a technology platform where these kind of conversations happen. And it can be beyond that. It doesn't have to be just examples of the real world where people can answer each other's questions. The instructor can do case studies. You can do simulations on top. Everything is geared towards extending the horizon where you are actually building a community around your course material and sharing knowledge with one another so that you're kind of getting deep into that subject area as opposed so, to kind of doing it at a surface level. So many people listening to your description are trying to wrap their minds around what does it actually feel like and look like. So can you describe how is it different to any other interaction on social media, on Twitter, or on Facebook? And how is it different from some of the digital Canvas platforms like Mural and Miro and so on. How is it different or similar to any of those examples so we can wrap our minds until we actually get to a demo experience with you? Yes. So the interesting part is that it is actually quite similar to social media. And when we 
designed Yellow Day, we actually decided consciously to use some of the design aspects of social media and in, apply that into the learning environment. So if you're using Yellow Day and you're using it in your chemistry course or business course, you'll almost feel like you're in your Facebook or a Twitter, Facebook kind of an environment, which actually helps the learners to jump in and kind of naturally engage with one another because everybody's so familiar with social media in this day and age. The difference comes in how we have implemented it. So if you think about a Facebook group where let's say you have 50 students in a classroom and you have 10 students kind of posting things randomly, right? And it could be distracting. It could go in any direction. You wouldn't have any idea that what is related to these topics that are relevant for the courses and what is not. We provide a lot more structure in that environment so that it actually feels like Facebook, but it's everything is geared towards learning. Right. So um, there is a curation that's and structure that enables people to not just get dispersed, but what is it a thematic a curation? How do you organize or structure the interaction? So there is a different curation tools available to the instructors who can kind of start the conversations in Yellow Day around the topics that are being taught. So very popular in Yellow Day is we have topics that instructors will create and every week they're discussing that in the classroom and then the students are discussing those topics around that classroom time, 24-7, whenever they have time. Then there are hashtags, just like Twitter, we have hashtags, but there are hashtags which are much more student-driven, but everything is within the context of the course, and you see which hashtags are getting traction, which hashtags are not getting traction. You can write formulas, like imagine you're in a Facebook environment, but you can actually, rather than kind of posting pictures only, but you are actually writing code, like you're in a Python class or in a chemistry class or a physics class. So whatever subject area you are, you can create content in those class context in Yellow Day. And then there is a variety of tools for the instructors. Like if you have a group of 50 students, as an instructor, you're wondering not only the people who are most motivated in your class doing, but what the students who are not motivated. In those 10, 15 students, you would never hear from. They're sitting in the back bench, just doing the bare minimum. But in Yellow Day, we actually encourage them to participate more through gameful learning, that's a whole area that we have invented and we have a patent on it. And then there are other kind of data services we provide to the instructors so that they know who's engaging, who is not, and they can take a variety of actions in the platform. Did you just say that, that gamification of learning is one of the elements that you're building into Elodie? That's right. You are writing on your website that the three pedagogical principles that you apply are agency, mastery, and connectedness. So I think you just explained connectedness. It's both connecting people to the life experience, and perhaps that's what you mean by agency, and connecting students to each other. How do you, what else would you say about these three ideas, agency, mastery, and connectedness as pedagogical principles? Yes. So there are some good amount of work that has happened in learning sciences around these three principles. And I can get into each of them but all of them are connected to this idea of intrinsic motivation. The reason kids love to play games is because the game designers hack into the intrinsic motivation of those gamers and they play games all day long. And we know as parents sometimes like how difficult it is to get a kid out of there playing games and actually do their homework. 
So these three principles are around it. So in Yellow Day, we try to bring that similar intrinsic motivation for the students to get hooked into it as much as possible in sharing and doing the things that are going to be helpful for them from a learning standpoint. When it comes to agency, one of the big things we did in Yellow Dig is that we provide the students to bring in knowledge into the classroom, what we call is co-curation of content. So traditionally, if you think about it, the experience is the you know, instructor is giving you all the content and you're reading it and you're probably writing an assignment. You're not really taking the kind of a step to kind of go find stuff that you think your community, which is your other students are going to find interesting. I gave the example of what is there in a Coke? Like if you're drinking Coke, for example, it could be anything, right? Let's say I'm taking a finance class and I know Bitcoin's prices are falling. Maybe I can just go find an article and write about it. That what is my point of view about Bitcoin today and what's going to be in three years. That kind of a step is so powerful for students to learn, not only be just be met consumers of information, but actually be active contributors. And we know the benefits in work environment, how important that is to be able to have influence in any sort of kind of organization. So we do that. So that's how gameful learning works for us. They actually earn points for bringing in knowledge and kind of building knowledge on each other, as opposed to just kind of consuming knowledge from the instructor and doing an assignment. Yeah, that's uh, very compelling, very powerful. So in the work We've been doing, and I've led with executive and leadership teams, we describe a similar principle in how learning used to be a learn-do kind of experience and how the pivot that you're describing, and it certainly is the way I design transformational experiences about do-learn. You learn by doing. I suppose what you're describing there is the idea of converting or turning learners into co-creators of knowledge. Exactly. Exactly. So, and especially in this day and age where any field that you're studying is evolving on a daily basis, unless you're studying STEM, where the chemical formulas would never change for any number of years. But if you're thinking about like finance, digital marketing, or anything which has a real world application, it's basically changing on a day to day basis. It is interesting for the learners to bring in that knowledge and share with one another because the instructor cannot really keep up. I'm really getting the vision that you're describing, Shonak, that where learning used to be taking people away from their life to shove, maybe that's a too harsh word, but to shove content into their heads, so to speak. What you are looking to facilitate is bringing learning back to it being an emergent process for each and every individual, as we see with toddlers, that they don't go to learn. They get up in the morning and they engage with life. And that's the learning process. And you're saying that some of the design principles of Yellow Dig is to unlock or unleash those same motivations and capabilities as part of the collective learning, individual and collective learning experience. Yes. And that gives the joy or the excitement about learning. Like it's so much more fun to be actually be involved and doing something because at the end of the day, you feel that I spent two hours learning something, but I actually learned something as opposed to I watched a video for two hours or I watched somebody speak for two hours. And then after that, I really haven't done much. Right. So that kind of gives the joy or the excitement back into the learner, which is often missing in most of these environments. So explain in that context, please, the second pedagogical principle of mastery. What is the idea there? 
So the mastery idea is that traditionally, if you see most learning is the instructor is going to give an assignment and the learner finishes that assignment and gets a grade or gets a pass saying that you actually have finished it. You are a master in this area, whatever the smaller big challenge or assignment that might be. The problem is that the feedback loop is too long, right? It's just like two, three weeks, you're waiting to hear back and then you get a grade. I'm like, okay, I got a B or a C. Now the question is, why did I get a B or a C and what do I do with it, right? It's almost like discouraging. I always wanted to get an A. It doesn't really provide you mastery. It's actually a bad game design. It's a game design with a long feedback loop. So in Yellowdick, what we have done is that every time you contribute any knowledge in the community or you get something, you get immediate feedback from your peer group. Somebody likes it, you get points for that. The instructor gives you a badge, you get points for that. You don't have to wait for a grade two two weeks down. You get feedback on a real-time basis. And sometimes the feedback might be negative. Like somebody might say that, oh, you know what? You shared this thing. Maybe you could have thought about this or that. Could be a little negative too. Or you may learn somebody else shared something very interesting. And you say, oh, you know what? I could have shared this. Maybe next time I'm going to post something, I'm going to do something better. So the whole idea is that you are constantly getting feedback. The loop is much tighter and you're getting good and bad feedback quickly. That's amazing. So you solve two problems there. You solve problem one, which is what you described as the learning the learning loop is too long and disconnected and therefore is loses its context. The second thing you're describing is that this solves to the idea that most learning indeed is social. That's right. Exactly. You kind of nailed it there. And that's how we kind of look at the mastery piece. And it's not that dissimilar for how games are designed, to be honest, because this problem has been there. Like, My daughters, when they're playing a game, I've always seen them. The reason you're excited about it is because you try to go from one level to the next level. And if you fail something, you just kind of quickly go back to the old level, constantly failing to learn and learning to fail. And then that kind of process is an ongoing process that not only makes me learn better or makes them learn better, but they're also excited about it as opposed to this long loops of learning, which is very demotivating to a lot of people. So describe, please. What does it feel like? What does it look like? What are the results when a class or a course or any group of people truly embrace and apply the full capability of the platform? What is it that, what do they say? What do they experience? What does it look like and feel like? Yeah, it's a great question. So the short answer is that it's a transformative experience. So we have now over so many schools and it's almost like we go and we explain them that they use the platform and they go through this two, three months experience. And after that, okay, it was different. I've never done this before. That's kind of what we hear back. And that's my highest point. When I hear that from the students or the instructors, they say, okay, now this actually worked. How do we get them there? Like there are a couple of challenges that we have to work through, which is what we kind of, you're asking. The first challenge for us is to kind of, train the instructor to think slightly differently about teaching. Because a lot of instructors, that we, when we first approach them, their approach of teaching is, is very kind of well-defined, as you've said. They've done it for so many years. Their presentation's ready. They have their assignments ready. And now we say that, okay, we will add this layer on top where you don't have to do much, by the way. The platform does everything for you. We have, everything is automated for you. You just have to set up a certain things and you have to be present in that platform to be able to kind of influence the students, which if you're a good teacher, you would love to do, but that's something new for you. So there's some amount of training that we have to make sure that the instructor understands what we're trying to do and kind of understands the features and functionality, how it works. 
but we do save them time. Like if they are spending time to actually grade assignments and they can pick up some of those things out of it, introduce Yellowdig, they actually save time. We have done studies with our clients to show them that you can save as much as 50% of your time just by implementing this framework. So the way I would describe what you said there is you're asking the teacher to pivot from being knowledge agent to becoming learning experience and transformational experience curator. Instead of driving trucks of knowledge into the parking lot of the students, they invite the students into the learning gym that Yellow Dig is and let them play in that space. That's right. And be that you know, community manager. Any good teacher, by the way, loves this. What we have seen is that a lot of teachers who got into teaching right? I mean, they got into teaching because they wanted to spend their life teaching other people, right? This is why they got into teaching. But what happened over time is that they get into the system where they're expected to do certain things and kind of follow certain rules, and they got to get used to it for a long time. And a lot of them hate it. Actually, we, I talk to teachers who say that I do not like it anymore because now it's getting overly kind of administrative. I don't really connect with my students and it's online and I don't know how to connect with them. And we say that, hey, we can solve those problems for you if you just implement our product in the right way because you would actually find the joy back in teaching. What do you say to those that, I'll frame it in two different ways. If you have some percentage of teachers that really what they love about teaching is they love to hear their own voice. And secondly, that they deeply believe in the transmission of knowledge, so to speak, through the lecture format. And you're saying the students of today that were already brainwired with social media and all that, they're really wired differently. They absorb, they assimilate knowledge in a different way. So what are you doing with those teachers that are wanting to hold strong to the lecture format? Yeah, no, we do have those kind of challenges and they tend to be like late adopters of the tools like this. The early adopters are the ones who kind of see this future coming and they want to be part of it. The other thing we are seeing increasingly is that there is a lot of pressure on teachers to change some of those old habits too, because if you're a student of in this day and age, I mean, you have so many options now. If you just want to sit in a lecture and listen to a teacher for two hours a week, you can do the same thing in YouTube. You can go take an old course at a course or some other online course and just listen to the videos or get the content. And why would you want to go and pay tuition, which is already very high and just kind of follow through that. So the reality is that given what's happening in higher education, given there's so much of pressure on cost and proving value for a lot of these institutions, there is increasing pressure on teachers to be much more learner-driven, to be able to kind of do things which are adding value. And what we say is that if you see that, if you're already getting that from your I don't know, institution or administration, like work with us. We are not going to increase workload on you because we are a tech platform. We don't come with a whole bunch of rules and regulations. We have designed a platform which just kind of works by itself. And you would actually enjoy the experience. And yeah, I mean, that's how we go for it. But there's always some teachers who would probably not adopt what we have built. So I have to come to this next question, which is, so what is the business model? How do you make money? So our model is, it's a SaaS business model. So we license our platform to institutions who pay us based on number of students and classes. 
So we have a standard price. They can get started. So our, what we call is our B2B2C business model. So we directly go to the instructors and make it available. We have those early adopters who will use it, see the value of the platform. And once they see the value and the data is showing the results are good, then we go to the administration, like the deans or the provost or the president sometimes and kind of make it available to all the instructors. And that's how we have been growing the business. So the buying agent is the academic institution. That's right. Well, they have plenty of money. If you can prove that you are creating differentiated value for the students in ways that will encourage uh, both enrollment and learning results. That is becoming an increasingly important thing because as you know, higher education is going through so much of turmoil right now. And enrollment is falling. A lot of these institutions that used to rely on a very steady kind of flow of students will always come to them and they were quite selective. Suddenly are finding it's getting much more harder for them to attract students. So getting students are becoming more and more expensive for them. And once they get those students, they have to be retaining them because otherwise they won't get the tuition revenue. And as you know, like the about one third of the students who start in their undergrad programs in the U.S. do not complete in six years. So the retention is was a big problem historically, and especially with COVID, there are other kinds of pressures on them. So retaining those students are becoming increasingly important. Showing them value is becoming more important. So, And we have shown them that if they adopt our technology, we improve retention rates by 10 to 15%. And that the tuition savings just by retaining students and not only just giving them better learning opportunity itself pays for the platform. Right. So that's the business case. Uh, very nice. So are you already profitable? We are very close to being profitable. How large is your team and how fast are you growing? We are about 30 people now. And in terms of growth of the company, before COVID 2020, we had about only about a dozen, about 20 universities using us. In the last couple of years, we have grown it to about 130 universities. We have another 60 or so who are piloting the technology. So we sometimes do like these free pilots to prove the value. So we have another 60 in the back. Yeah, we are growing rapidly right now. I think the timing is good for us because what happened is before COVID, we were almost seen as a niche application that was a nice to have for institutions which are truly trying to improve learning, teaching and learning. But now more and more institutions are having kind of prioritizing their teaching and learning function, which is kind of an opportunity for us. So I think the next four or five years is going to be interesting for us, I would say. What's your five years vision? Where will you be in five years with a company? We want to create this category in the space called connected learning experience, which is missing right now. And if you go to university, I mean, everybody's focused on content, which is the professors and what content they're providing, not so much a focus on the context that we talked about, the learner, the modern environment everybody's living in. And the, finally, the community piece is missing. Missing meaning the students are on their own to find their own communities, which sometimes come together, sometimes doesn't come together, especially as the world is moving to hybrid and online increasingly. So we want to be that connected tissue for content, context, and community for any institution and build that category. So... What would you say are the top two or three learnings for you so far in the journey of coming up with an idea, pulling together a team, translating the idea into an actuality? As a CEO, as a founder CEO, what are the top two or three learnings for you so far? 
You know, for us, the first thing is education is a very unique space because it's an industry, if you call it that, which is slow moving and it has its own ways of doing things. But interestingly, we are at a point in education right now where there's a lot of interest in changing as opposed to even five, 10 years back. It started a company 10 years back and wanted to do the same thing. Probably we would have failed, but maybe. But this time I would say that the luck is a factor. I would say one thing, that we are quite lucky that we are in this phase of this transformation of education at the right time. And in terms of building the company, I would say that the biggest thing for us has been focusing on our users and our students. So as a company, there are so many things one can focus on because you have so many stakeholders to do and so many things to focus on as a company. And there's always a question of prioritizing because you are a smaller company with limited resources. We, from day one, have always prioritized the learner experience to be the most important thing for us, which is if you can deliver better learning experience and deliver the outcomes that we are looking for. If that happens, other things are going to work itself out in terms of getting the initial group of clients having the clients believe in us and being able to kind of be referral clients for us to get to other universities. I would say that has been the biggest thing for us. The other big thing I'll point out is building the team. I always believe that it's finding the team with the right skills, but also the right motivation or the interest to be able to stick with this problem that we are solving. And it has been an evolving process for us to find the team that is truly motivated to do this with us. So I have a team which is very dedicated with this mission and kind of, you know, day in and day out, we are kind of pushing hard to make this happen. Are you doing a bootstrapping or is this funded? Uh, you have a first or second round of funding. How? Where are you in that journey? Yeah, we have raised about two rounds of funding in building this out. The first year and a half, it was from my pocketbook in terms of kind of creating the first iteration of the product. But once we got the first few customers, I raised my seed round and then Right before COVID, we launched our new platform, which is has the, all the vision in, that we are talking about. And then we raised another round of funding. And now we're probably going to raise another round of funding next year. Yeah, very exciting story, Shonak. So my three exit questions. What would you say to yourself back to your 25-year-old from what you know now, which is not so far it's nearby, but with the learning and the experience that you've had, what would you say back to your 25-year-old? I would say that following your purpose is extremely important. When I was 25, I was just out of college and I was trying to follow the other people's purpose to an extent, and which is sometimes happens. But I think quicker one falls into kind of finding your own purpose, I think it kind of leads to many other good things in life. So kind of finding your own path, whatever it is, and kind of sticking to it and doing everything you can to be successful in whatever you're doing is something I would tell my 25-year-old self. If you were to lose all that you know, but keep only two practices or capabilities or ideas, what would you keep? I would say being disciplined is number one, because everything else, if I believe that if I'm disciplined, whatever I've built, I can rebuild this whole thing again. The other thing I would say is, always learning. It's kind of the world they're living in right now. What works today may not work tomorrow. So we should not kind of be in this mindset that, or I wouldn't want, don't want to be in that mindset that I've learned everything and I know everything because whatever I've learned may not just work tomorrow. So I have to kind of figure it out tomorrow, what works and kind of just be disciplined about executing. As we bring this fascinating and exciting conversation about the way you're trying 
and working to transform the learning experience with Yellowdig, what parting wisdom do you wish to offer to people listening to create new futures? I would say that if you look at me, I mean, I started Yellowdig my mid-career. I was always 10 years into it. And then I kind of came up with this idea that I want to work on this problem. And the problem was enough personal to me. And I had to learn everything in terms of building a product. I've never built a product before in this space, a technology product, and kind of figure out a way to sell it into this space, which is quite hard, and convince people who have been doing this for many, many years. I won't call we are successful. We are on our path to be successful. So only thing I'll say is that, yeah, if you have enough of a mission or a purpose defined and then kind of go for it and stick to it and not don't give up so easily, I think it's not that hard to make things happen. It may not be as big or small, and we'll see where we land eventually. But I think at least whatever we have success we have got so far is just based on that tenacity and that focus. So changing the future is, I think, all about having a purpose and just going for it. Discover your purpose, follow it with discipline and clarity and find your path to realize that purpose. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Aviv. Great chatting with you. Thank you for listening. Aviv always encourages his clients to identify the one or two ideas they can move forward into action immediately. What will you capture and apply today? You can always begin with a small action and then build momentum over time. When you move forward from an idea to action, you get immediate ROI, return on the time you invested, and return of learning. And then the learning cycle builds the success propulsion. One more thing. You can reach Aviv directly by phone and email to discover how he can help you create a new future for your business and organization. Creating your new future can begin today.